This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. I'm Lane. And I am Pax Citizen. <laughs> Welcome back. I guess that's for me as well. But we've had a little bit of a hiatus. <laughs> we, it has been kind of a hiatus behind the scenes. Yeah. Life gets in the way, and I'm an extremely lazy editor, especially when I started a little farm over the uh, pandemic. I now have two goats and ten chickens and didn't really have a home for them, so yeah. Wow, that's impressive, though. <laughs> so you're building homes for them? Yeah, I mean, I had an old shed. I mean, this shed was literally about 30 years old and falling apart, so I had to shore it up and throw a bit of a fence together, but the goats escaped both times, so I'm like, okay, I need to up my fence game. It's a hideous fence. I'm using recycled <laughs> wood for now and uh, using trees as fence posts. None of the wood matches. It's all going every which direction. Thankfully, I don't really have any neighbors within sight, so no one to complain. <laughs> So, well, it sounds like your fence is like shabby chic. It uses a bunch yeah. of different things to it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Think of Fallout, the Fallout games. There you go. Yeah. All I need is a, a giant gas station sign. I think that is what that'll be the piece de resistance. That would round it out perfectly. Uh, so, how have you been, Pax? Uh, I've been okay. I've been okay. Uh, like you said, uh, real life kind of got in the way. So, it was kind of hard. And I kind of missed covering the book with you, Lane. So I'm really glad yeah. that we are back for this episode. My thoughts exactly. So uh, this episode, we're covering chapter 21 through 25. I was a good person and read my chapters and took notes, but someone on this podcast just finished <laughs> out. <laughs> no. Totally teasing. I, I did. I did. Just a few <laughs> hours ago, I finished the reading assignment. <laughs> I won't say that I've never done that when we recorded. So I just happened because we were supposed to record what was like a week or two ago and then it fell through. So I had my chapters read for that recording and my notes done. So I was ahead of the game for once. Yeah. And to be fair, I covered this book last year. So I had my notes from the last time I've done this. So I kind of go through reread and look through my notes and everything. So I just kind of had to reinforce what I was reading. So Chapter 21 starts on page 109. Chapter 21, Scene 1 Catwoman ignored the gunfire, the sirens, even the screams. She didn't have time for that kind of destruction at the moment. She was looking forward to a little destruction of her own. She walked up to the front door of Shrek's, the department store of her dreams. Or was that her nightmares? 
She was sure somebody was going to have nightmares before this night was done. There was that cute Shrek logo of the kitten etched onto the glass of the door. How appropriate for Catwoman. She punched it out with her claws. That was even more appropriate after all. This particular kitten had grown. The first scene is from Catwoman's point of view. And she's in full-on Catwoman regalia. She is in or making her way to Shrek's department store, ignoring gunfire and screams. And she punches the Shrek kitten logo. Right. Catwoman. Yes. No, it's a a kitten. But it also represents Shrek, so I don't know. Yeah, you can kind of see where she's torn on that one. And in the movie, she just scratches it, and I think I like that visual better. But uh, I also like here in the book, she punches her. It is also a cool visual. You kind of get where she's coming from. I can't wait to see the movie again because I, I have no memory of what this Shrek logo looks like. Did they work the name into the shape of a kitten at all? No, it's it looks like, I always thought it kind of looks like maybe Felix the Cat, um, like uh-huh. an old 40s cartoon cat, and uh, it's black and white, and uh, it's really cute. I really like it. And then the Shrek's name was just under it. Gotcha, gotcha. So she sets up some cool jazz on the floor stereo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can get behind that. Totally. And uh, it, the narrative says, it's just the sort of dance music for a cat on the prowl. And I'm thinking of Stray Cat Strut. I might have to throw a few <laughs> lines of that in here again. Yes. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Me too. She sets up destroying and smashing, knocking things off tables, as cats do. And uh, she finds a trampoline and bounces on that a couple times. And two security guards see her. And apparently they don't know whether to open fire or fall in love. (laughs) Yeah. Even in the movie, this is kind of a weird scene. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I often, I'm not sure whether to open fire or fall in love. (laughs) It's, I don't know if it's because I'm a Leo or what, but yeah. But yeah, I thought getting ready to open fire for a person bouncing on a trampoline might be escalating the situation a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. Might have been a really special trampoline. (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe they're very expensive and it's like we need to protect the merchandise. This is the floor (laughs) model. It's our last model. (laughs) This is the last one. (laughs) It's the deluxe turbo model. We can't have you jumping on it in the store. I like I like this like she destroys Shrek's department scenes and it's cool in the movie it's cool visuals uh, like in my head though like I <laughs> like I imagine something like a montage like something you'd see in the movie Mannequin or like something where or Big or something where they're you have music playing and she's going into different departments and messing around in the departments and it's like mm-hmm. her running across the screen really fast into another place and then running back across like this cra- cool like 80s like montage in my head that's how it played when I was reading the book and I was just in, in love with the idea of that that would have been perfect <laughs> Yeah, it made me think of the Joker scene when uh, there was a little bit of a montage that they the music they played was that Prince song that was really kind of awful. <laughs> it just it just didn't fit the vibe. But it it was a when they were in the art gallery and, and slashing things. So I can kind of see something similar to that for Catwoman running around, yeah. maybe also sliding across the floor in her socks, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> totally, yeah, like like risky business sliding exactly. across the floor. Totally. <laughs> So uh, Catwoman disarms them, and she uses her knowledge of the place to get access to a propane tank, and she tells the cowering guards to take a hike. So we see a little bit of her non-evil side, because she's never 
really, truly a bad person. So she's giving them ample time to scram before she blows the place. Yeah. And she's got that great line there. They tell her how much they're making. They're like, she's like, you're overpaid. Hit the road. <laughs> I, I always love that line. It's a great line. <laughs> so after she cuts a leak in the tank, she proceeds to microwave some aerosol cans. Don't do that, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she does that in the movie. Like, it's interesting. I think the book works better in the movie. She goes and takes the gas main and pulls off the hose and then microwaves the mic- microwaves the aerosol cans, which just happen to be right next to where the gas main is. Uh, but I like it in the book because she goes, I mean, it's a department store. So she goes and gets the propane tanks, which make much a lot more sense. And mm-hmm. then like get that gas going and then do the micro, then do the microwave. And it shows her using all the different things that are there in Shrek. I kind of like that. I like that a little bit better. Yeah. And a little bit more of a small scale. I mean, it's still, it's still going to mess things up, but you think of a gas leak, uh, that could be a really big explosion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, I do kind of like this one better. H- have you ever heard of peep wars and microwaves? No. Oh, it's a thing where people will take those Easter candies, peeps, oh. and you put yeah. you put two of them in a microwave facing each other, and you you have a a toothpick so that they're lancing. <laughs> yeah. And then you turn on the microwave, and they blow up, and the first one that stabs the other one is the winner. <laughs> and <laughs> I was uh, working, I was a student employee in the the tutoring center years and years ago, and we were trying to find toothpicks because we had peeps, we had a microwave, and we were bored, so we had to have a peep war. <laughs> and one guy, and he was in his 30s, so you'd think he'd know better. He's like, let's just straighten a paperclip. I said, no, you, you can't put that in the microwave. And I don't know, I think a, most of us at least as a child, maybe accidentally put something metallic in a microwave. It's yep. not really a good thing. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that was scene one. Chapter 21, scene two. Batman staggered forward. Someone had hit him so hard in the back that he felt it even through his body armor. Batman spun around and saw the tattooed strongman. Before I kill you... I let you hit me, the tattooed strongman said with a laugh. He flexed his tattoos. Hit me, come on, as hard as you can. I need a good laugh. Scene two is from Batman's point of view. And let's see, you're, since you read this <laughs> a little bit more recently than me, it might be fresher in your memory, but it says Batman takes a hit to the back and he turns around to see the tattooed strongman who says, I let you hit me, hit me. Batman believes in working smarter, not harder. Exactly. And he quote-unquote punches the strongman, but he what he really did was attach a bomb to the strongman's leopard skin suit and then pushes him down an open manhole cover. <laughs> um, so murder, <laughs> number one right there. <laughs> yeah, like how strong was this bomb? <laughs> Batman doesn't kill people. Being in 5,000 tiny pieces kills people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Batman didn't kill that person. The bomb did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, okay. Okay. We'll, we'll just, we'll say maybe it was a concussion bomb. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I would go with that as well. But he still might have broken his neck on the way down the manhole. So he could still be dead. <laughs> yeah. Because he was a big guy. I'm sure he didn't land nicely or softly. Yeah. And manholes aren't, like, all that big, so he could have gotten wedged in there, like, not falling down straight, and it was just a bad situation. Batman, I 
I really frown upon pushing people down manhole covers. Right. With bombs attached to them, especially. Especially, <laughs> yes. So the chapter ends with Batman seeing Penguin on the other side of the street. Fun little chapter. Yeah, I like this. And that little bit at the end, like, it's mostly Catwoman's chapter. And I, I like any time that we can kind of get into Catwoman's head for any length of time in this book. Especially because we got into Selena's head earlier and you can really kind of see the difference between the, even her inner thoughts change a good bit. Mm -hmm. Chapter 22, Scene 1. The penguin paused to shake the debris from his umbrella. My, things were certainly getting out of hand down here. He looked up and saw Batman. The penguin tensed, ready to use one of his umbrella's special tricks. But instead of attacking, the man in the mask indicated the chaos around them. Admiring your handiwork, Batman said. The penguin shook his head vigorously. How wrong could a masked vigilante be? Hadn't Batman heard about his new image? Touring the riot scene, he explained soberly. Gravely assessing the devastation. Upstanding mayor stuff. Batman shook his head. You're not the mayor. The penguin shrugged. Things change. So chapter 22, uh, the first scene is from Penguin's point of view. And it picks up from where they see each other across the street. Penguin sees the Batman looking at him and he expects Batman to attack because, yeah, that's what Batman are want to do. <laughs> they are want to do that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but surprisingly, Batman asks him if he was admiring his handiwork. And... Penguin replies soberly, touring the riot scene, gravely assessing the devastation, upstanding mayor stuff. So, okay, it's a good political answer. <laughs> uh, Penguin decides that they're both outcasts, uh, truth, mm -hmm. and they could do so much more if they worked together. And he sticks out a hand to shake. So many years of animosity could have ended here, <laughs> could have been nipped in the bud before it got started. Could have all been squashed right here. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. They, they could have been friends. Batman could have helped Penguin see the error of his ways. Penguin might have drawn Batman out of his shell a little bit. But uh, Batman does not shake his hand. Instead, he says, Once you were their freak, now these clowns work for you. Must feel pretty good. And then he asks, What are you really after? Correct me if I'm wrong, but at this point, I think Batman still doesn't really have any evidence that Penguin has done anything wrong, correct? He just suspects him. Right. It's, it's all suspicion. And I think it mm. comes I, I think it comes across in that conversation. He's essentially saying, this is what I suspect. And Penguin's like, you got nothing on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's not wrong. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> yeah. In, in the court of law, this would all be circumstantial evidence. And it, we didn't have a case, but Batman uh, doesn't work with that type of rule set. So... So they start sizing each other up, but breaking glass from Shrek's department store interrupts them. They see a woman in black doing a series of backflips across the plaza. She comes to a stop in front of them and says, Meow. <laughs> and Shrek's department store explodes. Excellent entrance, 10 out of 10. <laughs> that is such a classic like in, like entrance to the scene. It is just, I mean, even for this movie, that is a classic just moment right there. And it works just as well in the book as it does in the movie. I think this is one of those very few scenes that I actually remember. And I didn't know that I remembered it until I got to this point. Mm -hmm. And I remember her just kind of coming to a, a stop and kind of being half turned, half crouched, if I remember correctly, and just going, meow. 
the stuff we review A little old, a lot of new Come and join in all the fun Help clean up when we're done Come party with the professor Come party with the professor Professor Frenzy Show Professor Frenzy Show Professor Frenzy Show the Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try The Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes Search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. Chapter 22, Scene 2. The penguin looked out from under his umbrella. The flying glass seemed to have stopped. Much to his disappointment, that Catwoman seemed to have disappeared as well. He glanced over at his other adversary. I saw her first, the penguin remarked. From the way Batman studied his surroundings, he did not appear amused. Perhaps it was time for the penguin's exit. Gotta fly, he remarked as he hit the appropriate button on his umbrella. The steel rods that supported the fabric began to whirl about, first shredding the black cloth, then spinning free on their own a compact rotor to send the penguin into the air. In other words, an umbrella copter. What a clever idea, huh, Batman? It was this sort of wit that would make the penguin victorious. Where was Batman, anyway? He was running off someplace, not even waiting to say goodbye. The penguin grabbed his hat as he sailed away from danger and toward his destiny. So the second scene is from Penguin's point of view. Um... And Penguin is continuing his, oh, I don't want to say, his his animalistic view of women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, to be fair, this carries throughout the book. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad, it, I mean, it is what it is, but uh, it's not my favorite thing about this character. <laughs> yeah. I remember, it seems like Penguin usually had some like pretty women beside him or working with him, but I don't remember... Uh, like in my background knowledge of Batman comics and whatnot, I don't remember his actions toward them. So this might be canon. It might not. I don't know. But yeah, like you said, not my favorite part of the character, especially when he's lived in the sewer all his life. I mean, he, he's coming up with some, like he's showing some, uh, <laughs> some guts <laughs> to <laughs> approach women like this yeah. when he should have zero social skills whatsoever. Yeah, that's true. He, he does seem very ballsy for someone that hasn't had any interaction with normal people. Exactly. <laughs> and that was the word I was going to say. I was like, he, he's got some balls. <laughs> but, you know, hey, it, if he has that confidence, have at it. Yeah. I mean, own it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he tells Batman that he saw her first. And Penguin uses the opportunity to fly away in his little umbrella copter sailing away from danger and toward his destiny. And Batman runs off somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) As as he is wont to do. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Blowing people up and then running off. (laughs) And running off and disappearing. I love, (laughs) I love the gimmick umbrellas. Like, I I mean, I don't remember when that became a thing. I mean, I know it was a thing in the comics for a while. I don't think it originally was, but uh, I know he used it a lot, especially like the gun umbrella, but, um, mm-hmm. I love that it developed into this, you know, that helicopter umbrella. That's, that is a great visual. I love that. Yeah, very handy. 
I, I remember in the 66 Batman, you know, different colored smoke would come out and knock people out. <laughs> yeah, and I think right. there was one that it had a, uh, like a whirlpool pattern on it and he would spin it to kind of hypnotize. I don't know if I read that somewhere, if I remember it from watching the syndicated television show, but it seems like something Penguin would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So that was all of scene two. Scene three, we've got some dialogue. Do you know what that means, Pax? I know what that means. Listeners, do you know what that means? It means... Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present... That time Batman and Catwoman beat each other up. She had to be up here someplace. Batman had used the winch and tackle in his utility belt to hoist him most of the way up here, but he'd have to negotiate the last couple of floors worth of fire escape with his feet. He vaulted onto the roof of the building he had seen her climb only a minute ago. Now where could a Catwoman hide? Where's the fire? Came a voice behind him. Shrek's. He turned to see that Catwoman let herself down from a small rooftop shack. Her black costume had been torn in half a dozen places by the explosion, showing patches of pale flesh and a scratch or two. You. She kicked him in the face. Batman staggered back with the blow, but recovered quickly, slamming her in the chin with one well-aimed blow. She fell backwards into a whimpering ball. How could you? She moaned from where she huddled on the rooftop. I'm a woman. What did she mean? Had he hit her too hard? He was so used to fighting men. I'm sorry. I... Catwoman caught him in the chest with both her boots, sending him backwards. He was headed over the ledge. He reached out his hands, looking for something to stop his fall. Batman heard the crack of a whip, and felt a coil loop around one of his outstretched wrists. His hand was jerked roughly as he felt himself being pulled back toward the rooftop. This Catwoman had saved him with some sort of whip, and she lashed the other end of that whip to a weather vane, keeping Batman dangling over the edge, and a killing drop. As I was saying, I'm a woman, and can't be taken for granted. Are you listening, you Batman you? Was she kidding? Batman grimaced. Hanging on every word. Good joke. Want to hear another one? Batman nodded cautiously. He didn't know how much encouragement he should give her. The world tells boys to conquer the world, and girls to wear clean panties. A man dressed as a bat is a he-man, but a woman dressed as a cat is a she-devil. I'm just living down to expectations. Life's a bitch, and now so am I. She seemed done with talking for the moment. Batman quietly used his free arm to reach inside his utility belt to pull out a certain red and blue capsule. A He-Man? Sure. They shine that beacon in the sky, then wonder what hole I crawl out of. Wow, a real response, and you're not even trying to get into my tights. She plucked the whip with one of her claws nicking it ever so slightly. But explain this to me. If you're so down on them out there, why bust your bat buns to protect them? Batman shook his head. I just can't sleep at night. Exploding department stores keep me up. He snapped the capsule in his hands, letting the red half flow into the blue. One. I can't sleep either lately. A little link between us. But bottom line, baby... You live to preserve the peace, and I'm dying to disturb it. 
She reached her claws forward to cut through the whip. That could put a strain on our relationship. Four. Five. Batman concluded. The tube in his hand had turned a bright purple and had started to bubble. He lobbed it at her arm as she cut away at the whip. She screamed as the mixture exploded against her forearm. She lost her balance and fell past him, her claws catching onto a narrow ledge a few feet below. She scraped frantically at the concrete, trying to find some place to dig in with her claws. Batman freed his wrist from the remains of the whip and leapt down to her side. He grabbed her wrists and pulled her up, moving his hands beneath her armpits and then behind her back. The ledge was so narrow that he had to hold her quite close. It was almost as if they were embracing. Who are you? She said as she gazed into his eyes. Who's the man behind the bat? She smiled sadly. Maybe he can help me find the woman behind the cat. Her hand stroked his body armor. That's not him. Ah, here you are. Her hand stopped at that point just above the waist where the two main pieces of his armor joined. Without warning, she drove her talons through the fabric into his flesh. Batman cried out in pain, pushing her away. She fell. No. She hit the back of a passing truck filled with sand. So yeah, I kind of like how Selena says that she's living down to expectations. There's a lot of really good dialogue. I'm just going to say, like, in this movie and in the book, like, there's a lot of really good back and forth dialogue in here. And this scene has a chunk of it. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, the down, living down to expectations and life's a bitch now, so am I. I love the whole, uh, you're dying, you, you live to keep the peace, I'm dying to disturb it. I think that's a wonderful line. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just impressed how, like, like, how well some of these lines are written. Yeah, considering this novelization was written by a man and the screenplay was written by a man, I, I kind of like that they got to that little nugget of boys are told, you know, they can save the world, they can do every, anything, and girls are raised to, you know, play with dolls and look cute. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an older concept. It's changing a bit now, thank goodness. But when this was written, it was very much the case. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I remember uh, going around department stores with my mother when I was a kid, and I'd see a toy that I'd like, and she's like, no, that's a boy's toy. And I'd just be like, oh, that, that sucks. I wanted that toy, but I'm a girl. <laughs> and I, you know, she was from an older era, and, you know, she didn't really know any better. But yeah, if, you, if your kid wants a toy that is, quote unquote, marketed toward the other sex, let them have it. Exactly. It's all good. Yeah. It's just a toy. <sighs> but we won't open that can of worms. <laughs> no, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> but I, yep, I agree. Just whatever. It doesn't matter. Same thing with men and boys. Boys are allowed to cry. Men are allowed to have emotions. It's okay. It is, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure Batman cries. <laughs> plus, plus, I love uh, Catwoman also gets to uh, say bat buns. So that's mm-hmm. that's always a fun... like. I don't even think that I don't think that was in the movie. Um, so I, I, that's why I loved reading it here in the book. Chapter 22, scene four. Catwoman jumped up and waved at the astonished Batman, who watched her from high above. Saved by the kitty litter, she remarked dryly. Some date. She ripped her sleeve away to expose the nasty red welt on her forearm, looking at it more closely in the light of a passing street lamp. So it's not a corsage, she murmured. 
but a burn lasts so much longer. So that was the Batman, she thought. Bastard, she added. So chapter 22, scene four, is from Selena's point of view. Batman had knocked her off, and she lands in a dump truck full of sand. And as the truck continues driving away, she gives Batman a little wave and makes a joke about being saved by the kitty litter, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. It took me a second to realize why Batman was counting. He was counting down to when his gadget would explode. Yeah, yeah. So she has a red welt on her forearm, and her final thoughts in that scene are, so that was Batman, bastard. And then scene five opens up immediately with Batman's point of view, and what does he think of Catwoman? <laughs> he waves back and says, bitch. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> yeah. I love that little bastard. And then, bitch. Yep. Yeah, I love that little little back and forth that they're thinking of each other. Yep. Chapter 22, scene 5. Bitch. Batman muttered as he examined the wound. A set of four small punctures across his lower stomach. They felt much worse than they looked. Still, it was only when he had reached the safety of the Batcave that he felt he could sufficiently examine them. He walked over to his communication console and flicked a switch, then pressed a button. Alfred, he called. Would you bring me some antiseptic ointment, please? Coming, the concerned voice of the butler replied. Are you in pain, sir? Yes, Batman admitted. A bit. He flipped the switch back to break the connection. But I don't really mind, he added softly. He gingerly rubbed at his sore stomach, thinking about what had just happened, and with whom. Meow, he remarked. I'm curious because... Let's see, when was this written? Eight, uh, 91? 92. And I remember when I interviewed Andrew Vax, and he wrote the Batman The Ultimate Evil... The DC people told him, they gave him the Batman Bible, and he's like, okay, Batman can't have sex, Batman can't kill, and he can't curse. Uh, so I don't know if, I'm curious how they got around that here, or if maybe it, it hadn't come up yet. Um, I just recorded a Star Trek book with John and Maggie from Married with Comics uh, podcast, and it was a Diane Duane book, which was really wonderful. You guys should check that out. But they mentioned, um, like, after that book had been published, they came out with the the writer's Bible for Star Trek. So they kind of had to adhere a little bit more to the rules. And that's kind of a shame because it kind of clips a writer's wings. But it also, you know, makes the character not get too blurry around the edges. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. What do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And I think I remember asking you if... Vax had run into that where there was something he couldn't do or he he was forced not to. I, I've always wondered that too. I mean, I think back then they didn't have outlines like that. So you had a little bit more free reign than now. Like you said, you can't, I mean, we just had a passage where Batman killed a guy. Like he's, I mean, I'm pretty sure that guy killed him, even though we were trying to rationalize it away a little bit. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, I'd like, what do I think about it? I mean, I'd like to say, let the author go nuts, but also, you want it to seem like the same character that would be in the comic book, and you can't do stuff like that in comics. So right. I, I think there's a fuzzy line that you can cross a little bit, but try not to go too far. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, so yeah, so Batman thinks of her as a bitch. <laughs> 
And it might also be because this is a novelization of a movie. They might have made it a little bit, quote unquote, edgier. Yeah. To have like the bastard and bitch thing. Was it in the movie, I'm guessing? The bastard was, but not his response to it. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Maybe because she's a quote unquote bad girl and and uh, Batman can't curse. So interesting that they they took that out. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Since it's like one line, I was wondering if it was there and they just decided to excise it or if they just didn't do it at all. Yeah. Batman has four small punctures across his lower abdomen that felt worse than they looked, and he's currently getting them examined in the Batcave. He asks Alfred to bring in some antiseptic ointment. Hopefully he's up to date on his tetanus shots. <laughs> but it's Batman. I hope tetanus is up to date on the Batman shots. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can take pretty much any Chuck Norris joke and, and throw Batman in there and it'll still work. Still it would totally work. So he's in some pain, but he doesn't really mind. And he says, meow. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, li- I like that callback. I-, I think that's nice. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what Alfred thinks of his uh, boss just sitting there going, meow. Meow. It's like, oh, <laughs> Master Bruce has finally lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and did he do it in the Batman voice or did he do it in the Bruce voice since he was in the Batman <laughs> Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 23, Scene 1 Her desk was so much cozier now. She had gotten rid of all those old, wimpy notes that Selina had written to herself and posted all over her computer and replaced them with much more appropriate reminders. Defy authority. Take no prisoners. Expose the horror. Yes, she liked these much better. A fly buzzed too close to her ear. She snatched it from the air and crushed it without looking up. It would be only one of the things she'd crush today. Uh, Chapter 23 is from Selena's point of view. She's actually Selena Kyle again rather than Catwoman, I believe. And she's in her office, or at least the cubicle where she works. And she had gotten rid of all those notes she had written to herself. Little ones that, you know, I can't remember what they said, but they were like little kind of pick-me-ups and notes to herself and how to succeed in her job. Yeah, there was like, uh, don't be too funny, Um, Mm -hmm. like don't look in the eyes or something like that. It was all just kind of like sad little reminders about how she has to act in the office. Don't get jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's replaced them with defy authority, take no prisoners, and expose the horror. So she has a belated, rebellious phase coming through, but hey... Go for it. Yeah, I like I like that exposed the horror. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she catches a fly out of midair without looking and crushes it, and then heads to the coffee maker to brew some joe for Max. She grabs some milk and heads to Max's office. Chip is in there talking to his father about the explosion. And Selena says, Morning, Max. Bummer about the store. You covered? And Max is like, yeah, I damn well better be. In fact, I want you to phone those... Uh, this I had to look this word up. Gonifs. Gonifs. <laughs> I'm glad you looked it up because I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it's G O N I F F S, and he he says look, uh, phone those up at the Gotham Insurance Company. And I looked it up, and that word is Yiddish for a dishonest person. <laughs> so I mean, I I know some of like the basic Yiddish words that have made their way into our lexicon, like you know schlep and schmuck and things like that. 
Gonif is one, if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, I haven't heard. So the more you know. I love, yeah, like uh, Max's vocabulary is great in this, how they wrote him. I mean, I, I call back to that last one. I love the Carney Bolsheviks. I just yeah. think that is just a great term. And so I, when I saw Gonifs, I knew it was going to be something like that. It was just some crazy term that he used, but I, I love it. Yeah. And and it was used appropriately, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he tells her to call them up and Selena's like, uh, actually, I gotta go. I'm taking a personal day. And <laughs> because everyone in that room knows that Max tried very hard to kill her, uh, he's like, okay. <laughs> so he takes a, you know, she leaves and then he takes a sip and gags on a live cockroach that was in his coffee. I'm curious why he didn't use, she didn't use the dead fly she had just caught. I know. I thought that's where that was going. Because, uh, and, and I like that we're still seeing her put stuff in his coffee. <laughs> that's become like a running thing because she did the blood earlier from that one scene. So, yeah, uh, yeah I totally thought the fly was going to be it. And so was a cockroach. I'm like, yikes, maybe she got the fly to do it and then saw the cockroach and was like, oh, that's even better. Even better, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a, a cat bringing you presents. <laughs> yeah, totally. So... <laughs> So, so we get Selena here again, and I, I like just how she thinks, and like I like her dialogue of how like Max, your tops, like she has this funny, just kind of bubbly type way she talks, um, especially since she's come back at, after her accident, and uh, like before she was like, don't stop saying my name, you'll wear it out, you know, you know, Max called him Maximilians, and uh, like mm -hmm. I just like this bubbly kind of like it feels almost kind of like a forties kind of screwball personality kind of a thing, and uh, I really enjoy her using that. Yeah. I can see her saying saying some of these things with a big red lipsticky grin and with a wink and just uh, not in an airhead way, but in a right. I'm just I'm just loving life and uh, this is all a game to me. Yep. Chapter twenty three, scene two. His chance was here at last. After that shameful night of crime on the streets of Gotham City, what could the penguin? that is, Oswald Cobblepot, do but declare his candidacy for mayor. So they'd taken down the curtains, revealing his campaign headquarters for all to see. They'd invited the press, alerted the media, even come up with a couple of improved banners. Oswald means order, hung on the left side of the room. Cobblepot can clean it up, hung over the right. Uh, scene two is from Penguin's point of view. So, like any good politician... Penguin figures out how disaster can help him make a profit. He uses the chaos that happened in Gotham as a catalyst to declare his candidacy for mayor. Uh, apparently, the press had already been there, come and gone. And some of his um, campaign slogans are, Oswald means order, and Cobblepot can clean it up. <laughs> and uh, Oswald says, I may have saved the mayor's baby. But I refused to save a mayor who stood by, helpless as a baby, while Gotham was ravaged by a disease that turns Eagle Scouts into crazed clowns and happy homemakers into Catwomen. Savage. Yeah. Kind of pointing back to what Selena was talking about, how, you know, women are said, you have to do this and that, and he calls her a happy homemaker. I, I don't think she was all that happy. Yeah, she, she was <laughs> not. I mean, now she gets to bounce on trampolines and microwave aerosol cans and then do a backflip. Do flip, and, flip, flip. Uh, yeah. Say meow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like more fun to me. Yeah, totally. Now she's happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So again, Cobblepot is ogling this shapely young woman in the press conference. So I guess the press is still there. 
and he pins a button on her, quote, pert young breast. And I think I remember this in the movie, too, because I, I wondered how it stayed, because it didn't look like he pinned it on and then fastened the pin. It just looked like he stuck it there, if I remember. Yep, you were you're remembering correctly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the things my 10-year-old brain retained. <laughs> So he goes back upstairs where the organ grinder and the others are preparing their special weapons for the next stage of the assault. And for the first time, uh, we see Penguin become angry at the nickname Penguin. When the thin, cl thin clown referred to him as the Penguin, he barks that the name is Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah. <laughs> this is why people call him Penguin, because your name's hard to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> and that's interesting. I, I'd only, you know, I, I don't know a lot of Penguin's background. I haven't read a lot, but I know in the Gotham series, that character really hates the name Penguin until he just kind of basically owns it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting here, like, yeah, because uh, he's kind of dealing with an identity thing, too. You know, he comes out and he thinks he's doing his villainous thing, but he kind of winds up liking the mayor thing and getting some some adulation from the public and... So then he's like, you know what, maybe, maybe I am Oswald Cobblepot. So he's trying that on for a little bit. And uh, we'll see yeah. later he dumps that to go back to the Penguin. But uh, gotcha. it's an interesting kind of uh, how he's trying on these different identities. As It's part of the whole thing. Like we said, he hasn't had a lot of interactions with people. So now he's trying to figure out, hey, I, I think I kind of like this. Yeah, it makes sense that he's trying to figure himself out. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that he takes the name Oswald Cobblepot. I cannot say that name. <laughs> Oswald Cobblepot at all because of the disdain he has for his parents. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So the knife lady uh, tells him that there's someone here to see him. And he looks over to see Catwoman curled up on the mattress. Or his inner thoughts are, be still my heart, not to mention other parts of his anatomy. Risque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This whole beginning... It was like like what we've been talking about with you know we had the the perky volunteer and then how he talked to Catwoman earlier and this whole beginning of this conversation between him and Catwoman is very creepy and just he can't focus because he keeps coming up with these double entendres and triple entendres <laughs> and it's like and then until finally Catwoman's like all right you know what I'll just come back later <laughs> <laughs> yeah because the first thing he says to her is just the pussy I've been looking for yeah. Yep. Groan. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm a punster, so I can't groan too much because, yeah, I make bad jokes all the time. When it's not me making the joke that it's painful. <laughs> if I make the joke, it's hilarious. Right. Just saying. Exactly. I mean, and that's how it works. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Selena complains that it's cold in there because of his super air conditioning. Oswald offers to warm her up, but Selena's like, uh, no, we got business. <laughs> and we need to talk. We have something in common. And <laughs> Penguin takes a few guesses at what that thing in common might be. <laughs> um, appetite for destruction? Contempt for the czars of fashion? Wait, don't tell me. Naked sexual charisma? <laughs> that that third one, yes. Abel, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Catwoman responds, Batman. The thorn in both our sides, the fly in our ointment. And really, has Batman really caused that much trouble for them so far? I mean, that's a very good point that I hadn't even thought about. Like, up to this point, no, he hasn't really. Penguin makes another sexual joke or two, and that's when she's like, you know what, I'll come back later. But Penguin says, 
Are you perchance a registered voter? I'm a mayoral prospect, you know. And Selena says, I have but one pet cause today. Ban the bat. And um, this is when Penguin indicates some blueprints on the wall. Do you remember what the blueprints were? Yes, they are blueprints for the Batmobile. <laughs> yes. How in the world did he get his hands on those? <laughs> the book tries to explain it. The movie does not. Like, you see mm-hmm. him in the movie, and it's just kind of brushed by. Like, we got plans, and then you see the, the stuff here. But they try to explain it here, but I want to know what your thoughts are on how it explains how they got him. So it says it had taken Max a pretty penny to get them from the car's designer or a disgruntled employee of that designer. And my thought was, Lucius Fox, how could you? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they they make it sound like it's just something like a a high-end model of a car that you can just buy. Yes, they make it sound like you could just go down to the... The public records office and pick up copies of the blue of the uh, the Batmobile for ten bucks, you know. And it's like yeah. it that that never sat with me because I'm like, if he did it, whatever shell corporations he created, he would have been like five different things, and they never would have left any copies anywhere. Like no designer mm-hmm. would have the copies for the Batmobile. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, Batman probably would have blown them up to keep the secret. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> So yeah, I thought that was interesting that he has uh, the the Batmobile's blueprints. So, and I have no memory of what happens, like what kind of attack they do with the Batmobile. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So Penguin tells Selena, "We're going to disassemble his spiffy old Batmobile, then reassemble it as an H bomb on wheels. Yesterday's Victor is tomorrow's Vapor." And it just seems like too much work. Really. <laughs> it does seem like a lot of work. And those and those carny Bolsheviks have got to be pretty good with uh, machines if they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, my goodness. And like, you know, you have to find when like Batman's going to park for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. He's going to get his, you know, coffee latte or something. And like, all right, we have 10 minutes. The line is long. We have to... I mean, and you don't want to turn it into an H-bomb. That's a little bit too much destruction. You're going to take yourself out with that. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, but Selena kind of... Tells him to hold his horses and points out that Batman would have more power as a martyr. And she's probably not wrong. Oh, yeah. And to destroy Batman, we must first turn him into what he hates most, us. And Penguin's like, you mean frame him? <laughs> and Selina at this point has noticed all the yellow legal pads. And she says, hmm, not even in the office yet and already an enemies list. But Penguin, you know, this list is his his pet project, something that's very personal to him. So of course he gets very defensive and protective of it and tells her that these names are not for prying eyes. And why should I trust some cat broad? Maybe you're just a screwed up sorority chick who's getting back at daddy for not buying her that pony when she turns sweet 16. And internally, like maybe the first bit of lucid thought that uh, penguins had since she walked in, he wonders like, could she even be a spy for Batman? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because you never know. You don't. Yeah, you got to be paranoid if you're the penguin, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that's clearly that's clearly something he should be thinking. Yeah. So in response, Catwoman snatches up this pet canary that has only just shown up, probably for this very moment. And I do remember this from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she pops the canary named Jerry into her mouth, and uh, when she does that, Penguin has one of his what what, what did you call them? Those gag umbrellas or whatever they were. Oh yeah, the uh, yeah the trick umbrellas. Trick umbrellas, yeah. 
pops out a knife and has it to the ni- to the throat of the cat that Selena had brought with her. Um, so they have a bit of a standoff going on. So Catwoman spits out the canary, who is damp but unharmed, <laughs> and Penguin withdraws the blade from the cat's throat. They square off for a moment longer, and then Catwoman strokes Penguin's cheek and says, Look, and she shows him that welt that was on her arm. Batman napalmed my arm. He knocked me off a building just as I was starting to feel good about myself. I want to play an integral part of his degradation. I really like that, that, you know, just as she was starting to feel good about herself, and she kind of runs into the bat. She didn't even really have a good warm-up to being the Catwoman and this and that. It's like it's, it sounds like it's basically her first or second night out as Catwoman that she gets knocked off a building. Yeah, that's right. And as we were saying, like, Batman hasn't really been a foil to them. But for her, this is personal. It's not like he stopped her from doing something. It's that he has affronted her in some way. And that's why she wants to get back. That's why she has a vendetta against him because, you know, he he did this to her, uh, which I can see her motivation. I still don't see what necessarily Penguin has. It's interesting because, like, the other villains of Batman's repertoire you know, they want to avoid going to Blackgate prison or Arkham or whatever. So they have their freedom and they're trying to avoid going to... That's part of their motive is to avoid getting caught. They just want to do what they're going to do. But it's not really at the forefront of their mind. But the way this is worded, it really kind of comes across that Selina is just now for the first time and probably since she was a child, she's free and is enjoying that freedom. So even if she doesn't go to jail, if she's even kicked back to the character of Selina Kyle, if she goes back to that mousy secretary, even that is having her freedom taken away. So I can see where Batman uh, is quite the threat to her. I I think I'm starting to see. But like you said, I don't see Penguin's motivation yet, but I think I see hers. Yeah. And they mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, she sees the, the yellow legal pads. The book really builds up the importance of these legal pads to whatever Penguin's master plan is. And they mention him several times. Some people find him. He's very protective. He, you know, keeps him by his side and is always writing like, oh, I need to get back to my pads or whatever. Um, and it's a whole big thing of his buildup of his master plan. And it's interesting to see where that ultimately goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it, he was finding the people who were born around the same time. He, I can't remember now what he was looking at, but usually I think birth records are not available to the public until 70 years after the fact hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So I, we just got the 1940 census released. Uh, maybe that was not... Anyway, I think we're coming up on 50. I don't know. I don't math. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> Especially not right now. <laughs> yeah, not right now. Um. Yeah, because the last time I tried to do math, like figuring out how many votes Shrek would need <laughs> for a recall of the mayor, I messed that up royally. Yep. <laughs> but I caught myself. Honest mistake. Like, Honest mistake. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. So Penguin tells her that a master plan is forming, a vicious one, that will end in the loss of an innocent life. This makes Catwoman feel all dirty, and she starts giving herself a tongue bath. They had made themselves a deal. I love Catwoman as a character. I'm not sure how much I've ever liked the cat characteristics she does, like kind of purring and meowing and, you know, kind of licking her wrist and then using it to clean her ears and things like that. I I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Like some of that, some of that's a little bit much. I agree. I don't mind little things here and there, like a little purr here and there or, you know, mm-hmm. saying meow or whatever. But uh, 
but yeah, you know, like not too much of like the actual literally licking your arm and bathing yourself. That that's yeah. that's a little much, but because we know she's she doesn't believe that she's a cat or she isn't like a mutant cat or something. <laughs> she's just a person. Yeah, uh, it just seems like she's she's sticking a little bit too close to to the shtick, but that's okay. She's still pretty awesome. Yeah, when I like that, uh, I mean. It's interesting because if she hadn't come here to see penguins, like penguins plan was he was going to mess with the Batmobile and just blow Batman up. It's like no yeah, Batman. And, now I, it's just, and I had said recently, like, oh, I can't wait to see what, where that goes. But she foiled that already. So no, I'll never know. Right. And but it's just interesting that like he was going to kill Batman and then she comes in and they come up with a different plan, which is which is turning him into a bad guy and framing him for something. So I think that's a that's a great plan. But it's it's interesting if she hadn't gone to do that what would happen if batman just blown up in the batmobile <laughs> yeah there's still those uh blueprints of the batmobile floating around yeah. somewhere and yeah and those are still floating around that's oh my lord that is just a messy <laughs> they should not have done that you are receiving this transmission from the rod pod upload pending Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Chapter 23, Scene 3. The Penguin was on TV. These days it seemed like the Penguin was always on TV. I challenged the mayor, the Penguin declared with a melodramatic swoop of his umbrella, to relight the Christmas tree in Gotham Plaza tomorrow night. Bruce Wayne looked up for an instant as Alfred placed his dinner before him. The penguin droned on through his media forum. He must prove that under his administration, we can carry on our proud traditions without any fear. Not that I have any faith in the mayor, he squawked self-importantly. But I pray, at least, Batman will be there to preserve the peace. So scene three, uh, Penguin is on TV. It's from Bruce's point of view. And the Penguin is on TV again, challenging the mayor to relight the Christmas tree by tomorrow night. Penguin says, He must prove that under his administration, we can carry our proud traditions without any fear. Not that I have any faith in the mayor, but I pray at least Batman will be there to preserve the peace. So no faith in the GCPD either, I take it. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. The GCPD doesn't have faith in themselves, much less penguin. <laughs> like a handful of circus <laughs> freaks and like, call that man. Right, call him now, <laughs> hurry. 
they're, they're not really shown in the best light here. It definitely wasn't intentional, but yeah, not the not the not the best not representation of the GCPD. Exactly. So Alfred puts Bruce's dinner in front of him, and I I put in parentheses a hungry man, a hungry man dinner, um, <laughs> TV dinner. Yeah, <laughs> it is the old hungry man, sir. <laughs> Alfred, I wanted the one with the brownie. I wanted the brownie. <laughs> I don't like apple. <laughs> and Alfred asks, Sir, shall we change the channel to a program with some dignity and class? The love connection, perhaps. <laughs> and boy, that's a title I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> no, I, was, I had to look it up to see, was it still playing in 92? And yeah, of course it was. Uh, oh, but for goodness. some reason, I was thinking like, man, was it even on in 92? Yeah, that's an old one. That is. That's an old one. <laughs> So Bruce muses that perhaps he was becoming obsessed with Penguin. Bruce? Obsessed? <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> but Penguin just issued a challenge to Batman, and he had to be ready. Maybe Batman could be there without the Penguin's knowledge. So he picks up the remote and turns the Penguin off. A rehearsal, he thought, for the real thing. When Batman turns the Penguin off forever. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Tune in next time. That sounds kind of permanent. It does. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Penguin was yeah. going to do it to him. Batman may as well return the favor. <laughs> and I, I still put that that's still a little harsh, perhaps, considering Penguin still hasn't really done anything wrong that Batman for sure knows exactly. of. Exactly. They're both, they're both kind of going at each other, and neither of them have any kind of reason to really be doing that. <laughs> Rain it in, boys. <laughs> no, Seriously. bring it back a little bit. So that was the end of chapter 23. Chapter 24, Scene 1 It was almost Christmas time. Remarkably, they had managed to reopen some of the stores on the plaza, making quick repairs to the devastation of a couple of days ago. When he had left here that night, Bruce would have thought this kind of recovery was impossible. Still, he guessed that nothing was stronger than the lure of Christmas cash. Bruce saw a boy walking between his mother and father as all three headed for the restored window of the toy store. The boy seemed so happy, and why shouldn't he be? He had his parents. They all had each other at Christmas time. Bruce had to turn away. His mother screamed. His father tried to stop them. He heard the gunshots. Bruce opened his eyes. Christmas. Bruce could not think of a more depressing time of year. So chapter 24... The first scene is from Bruce's point of view, and it's almost Christmas time, and Bruce is out and about in Gotham City, and he's impressed that some of the stores of the plaza that had been damaged by the Red Triangle Circus Gang, they were able to make quick repairs and reopen. And I put in my notes, you know, the Red Triangle Circus Gang, they are the ones that he should be looking for. Yes. Because they definitely created the chaos, and if he suspects that Penguin is tied to them, then he can make that connection later. <laughs> Yes, he's focusing too much on a connection that he doesn't have anything for when he has the people that actually did it right there. Yeah. It's like, these people, go get them and then find your connection. You're exactly right. We should rewrite this book. <laughs> we should. <laughs> <laughs> so he sees a boy walking between his mother and father looking so happy. And why not? He had his parents. <sighs> so we get the obligatory flashback. And here it is. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Bruce muses that Christmas is the most depressing time of the year. And yes, that is very true for many people, including myself. <laughs> and it, it can be a very depressing time of year. Mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, he turns again and sees a woman looking through a store window. 
And who is it? It's Selena. Selena! <laughs> so she's staring unhappily at her reflection, and she's saying to herself, Why are you doing this? And uh, Bruce taps her on the shoulder, and she jumps. <laughs> and Bruce says, Selena, hi. Didn't mean to. Didn't you, Bruce? <laughs> Didn't you? <laughs> uh, he tells her that it's a treat to find her out in the world, away from Ebenezer Shrek. And Selena says it was a treat to be there. So they're kind of, they talk a little bit about the holiday blues and there's a uh, newspapers on display uh, that headlines read, Batman blows it. It's a catastrophe. Me, ouch. <laughs> That's a pretty great <laughs> headline. Puns. That's a pretty great headline. <laughs> like, like, me, ouch. I, I enjoyed that. Me, ouch. <laughs> so Selena says, the news these days, weird. People looking to superheroes for their peace of mind and blaming their problems on supervillains instead of themselves or their spouses, at least. And yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting perspective that she has. And in a world where there are superheroes and supervillains, I suppose it could be easy to uh, look for the heroes for help and blame the villains for any troubles that's going on. Mm -hmm. I, d I do like their little conversation here. It's a very cute. And like, this is more of what kind of what I was talking about. Like, the, you got some really good dialogue here. And then they're, they got a really good back and forth. And you see it in the movie. It's just like crackling in the movie. But and it still works here on the page. And they, like they said, you said they see the newspapers. And then I like how Bruce is like, that's not even true. Blows it. He's probably saved millions in property damage. And I just love that he said that. <laughs> and she and Selena says, I heard on TV, Catwoman is thought to weigh 140 pounds. How do these hacks sleep at night? <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> I'm assuming that they are walking during this time because it says their progress appeared to be blocked by the preparations for the upcoming ceremony. The police were putting up cordons and a new banner was being hoisted that, re that read, The relighting of the tree tonight at 7. And Selena says, You're not coming to that, are you? The relighting of the tree thing? <laughs> and Bruce says, I wouldn't be caught dead. No, it's probably how I would be caught. And I really love <laughs> the awkwardness that Bruce Wayne exhibits. Because I don't think it's a whole lot of an act. I think a lot of it is just his... I don't know. It, it feels genuine to me. Right. He's, he's like truly just kind of like absent-minded a little bit. and he, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says, the mayor stupidly took Cobblepot's bait. And Selena says, and it's going to be a hot time on the cold town tonight. He looks over at her because for the first time he hears a little bit of lively liveliness in her voice. So a little destruction wakes her up. He says, you almost sound enthusiastic. And Selena says, oh no, I detest violence, but Christmas complacency can be a downer. And they kind of start like, you have a dark side, no darker than yours. They walk along a bit more and Bruce says, well, maybe we'll watch it on TV. And Selena says, wait, we? <laughs> As in me and, and Bruce says, me and then he i love this bit so he catches himself and he's like wait no that would be me and me <laughs> so, <laughs> and he's like just being all awkward and cute yeah yeah like he had didn't like he had done that before like like his little messed up little speeches when he first met selena he did the same thing and uh he was like i thought i thought i met you i met me you <laughs> like it's like he has funny little things <laughs> like that and keaton plays it pretty great but before he can be more awkward, Alfred pulls up in the Rolls Royce. So good timing, Alfred. BK. And Alfred I, BK. <laughs> Alfred FTW. <laughs> uh, I thought they were going to plan something for later, but she hops in the car with him. So they were, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, she did yeah, hop in the right in the car, huh? Yeah. So it must have already been late. I wonder if it was already like close to seven. Yeah, that could be. 
And it wasn't like she hopped in uninvited. He actually took her hand and she didn't object. So they both got in the car. Mm -hmm. And Alfred's probably like, oh dear, here's another one. (laughs) Another one for the pile. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 24, Scene 2. This evening would be everything he'd planned. The penguin waddled into the tent that held the controls for tonight's celebration, as well as the dressing room of that well-built ice princess. He could hear her talking to herself as he approached. The tree lights up. I press the button, she mused. No, wait. I press the button first, and the tree... Who are you? she demanded as he marched into her dressing room. Talent scout, the penguin reassured her. The second scene is from Penguin's point of view. And he's thinking, like, this evening is going to be everything he planned. So he goes into the tent that holds the controls for that night's celebration, as well as the dressing room of that well-built ice princess that we've seen since chapter one. And she's talking to herself in the mirror, uh, kind of prepping. And, oh, they really play this uh, kind of dumb blonde (laughs) thing up. (laughs) I'd kind of forgotten that was a thing in the in the in the nineties was dumb blonde jokes, but she's like the tree lights up and I press a button. Oh no, wait! I press the button first and then the tree lights up. <laughs> but she notices someone's in the room with her and she turns and is like, "It's who? Who are you?" So I'm guessing she doesn't pay attention to local celebrities, but considering how they have her portrayed as an airhead, I guess it's not surprising. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he is his face is everywhere and he's running for mayor, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's paying attention. Yeah, like she doesn't realize that pushing the button is going to turn on the Christmas lights. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Penguin tells her that he's a talent scout. And of course, this gets her attention. She just warms right up. She's like, come in. You know, I don't just light trees. I studied the method. <laughs> well, it was by mail, but... By mail. <laughs> <laughs> And she stops when she sees that Penguin has a poodle with him with an odd-looking box in its mouth. And the poodle <laughs> the poodle growls when Penguin tries to take the box from it. That's, I think, is funny. <laughs> and Penguin finally has to yank it free. Uh, the ice princess says, what is that, a camera or something? It's actually the Batarang that had been snatched out of the air a few chapters ago by the poodle, correct? Yes, that is correct. I don't know how, but Penguin has figured out the buttons. <laughs> yeah, because there were a lot of buttons he had to press on it. I, I, I can just see him kind of sitting around in his campaign office, testing the buttons to see if they do and knocking out a bunch of henchmen. Or, I mean, yeah, the henchmen were figuring out how the Batmobile works, so they probably just figured out the battering and told him, here, push yeah. this and push this. Yeah, true, true. They re- reverse engineered yep. it. Between trapeze acts. Yeah, yeah. He says, say cheese, and the wings of the battering sprout from the sides, and the ice princess never knew what hit her. When I first watched this movie, and it wasn't until I read this book, but like when I first watched this movie, I thought the penguin just straight up murdered the ice princess. And Uh that that's how he was going to frame Batman. And it wasn't until I read read this novelization, like, couple weeks after i got uh, watched the movie i realized i was like oh okay so or i guess later on in the movie we see her um so i, I was like oh like but it just this looked like in the movie and it kind of read that he totally murdered her that was the end of chapter 24 chapter 25 scene one chestnuts roasting on an open fire jack frost nipping at your nose selena kyle and tonight she did feel like selena should have always felt looked up from where she sat next to Mr. Bruce Wayne on what might be the world's most comfortable couch. They were sitting very close together. Not only was there romantic music on the CD player, but the couch faced a roaring fire, and Alfred, the butler, an actual butler, had reappeared silently, 
She wondered how butlers did that, to refill their eggnogs. Wow, Mr. Bruce Wayne, handsome, clever, and interested in her besides? Why couldn't she have met him long ago, say, before Catwoman entered the picture? Chapter 25, the first scene is from Selena's point of view, and she's feeling pretty good. She thinks that this is how Selena should have always felt. She's feeling good because she's sitting on the couch, the most comfortable couch in the world, with Mr. Bruce Wayne. Not only was there romantic music on the CD player, but the couch faced a roaring fire, and Alfred the butler, an actual butler, had reappeared silently to refill their eggnog. <laughs> and she smiles at Alf Alfred, which I think is really cute. I'm sure it, like, when there's a bunch of other rich people around, they probably barely give him a glance because, you know, he's the staff right. and they're just meant to be neither seen nor heard. They're just supposed to do their thing and leave. Yeah, they're, they're uh, atmosphere. They're not actual people. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I love that this little bit where she smiles at him and he smiles back and disappears just as silently. She says to Bruce, I'm sure he's wonderful company and all, but doesn't the gold-plated bachelor bit get a little stale? And he replies... Somewhat like the lonely secretary syndrome, I suppose. Touché. Her auto response, her, her knee-jerk reaction was to correct it to executive assistant. <laughs> and then she's like, eh, secretary. <laughs> and she asked if he had a girlfriend. And he says, as in serious, had one, didn't work. So I'm sure that's Vicky Vale from the last book. Yeah. And Selena asks, well, what went wrong? Hang on. I think I know. You kept things from her. And Bruce shakes his head. Nope, I told her everything. Actually, Alfred was the first to tell her. <laughs> yeah, so it was Alfred so, told her everything. <laughs> yeah. So Selena finds this far more interesting, as, as you would. And she asks, and the, the truth frightened her. Bruce puts down his eggnog and turns his full attention to her. And Selena thinks, my, a girl can get used to this. So even just having someone pay attention to her is just really sweeping her off her feet. And these little insights really tell a lot about her background. Yeah, and I really like, this is another one that just has great natural dialogue. I like what we're hearing here, like the way she's playing, you get you get a lot of Selena, but there's also a little bit of Catwoman in here, and we'll get her come out in the, as you go along into this conversation, uh, we'll hear more Catwoman kind of come out a little bit as well. And so it's kind of a melding of the two, and I really like, you, f you hear both Bruce and her, and I think it's inadvertently just opening up to each other, you know, and she's mm -hmm. she she wants to correct him about the executive assistant, but then kind of laughs it off. And then he tells her about Vicky. And uh, so it's you see them just kind of opening up and kind of realizing that they actually kind of like each other. And it, it's really nicely and very natural kind of scene that I really enjoy. They seem like they would have like they really have natural chemistry together. That Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne would be a good fit as they're portrayed in this book so far. Yeah. So Bruce says, well, how can I put this? There were two truths and she had trouble reconciling them because I had trouble reconciling them. So Vicky said, I was about to say that was very self-aware of him, but then he follows it up with that's what Vicky had said to him. <laughs> so not very self-aware. It was pointed out to him. Yeah. Selena is amused by Vicky's name and asks if she were an ice skater or a stewardess. Bruce says, photojournalist. Sure, she says. <laughs> and then they both start to laugh. I'm guessing some nervous laughter. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but something something about that just tickled them and they both burst into laughter, which is always a good bonding experience. And uh, Selena gets serious again and asks, was Vicky right about your difficulty with duality? And Bruce hesitates. And I love this line. He says, if I said yes, then you might think me a Norman Bates or a Ted Bundy type. And then you might not let me kiss you. 
you smooth mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's kind of jarring in a cool way to hear those names coming from his mouth. Yeah. We don't always get a direct bridge from fictional Gotham to our real lives and our pulp culture. I don't know. I just I thought that was really cool. But like, oh, he knows about Ted Bundy. Cool. Right. And it, and it's like he used a, a fictional name and then a real serial killer name, uh, which I yeah. thought was kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So they smooch. Yes, they <laughs> and when do. They, <laughs> when they finally come up for air, Selena says to him, it's the so-called normal guys who always let you down. Sickos never scared me. At least they're committed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean. Pun. <laughs> Bruce kind of puts his arm around her and says, and you come to the right lonely mansion. He's a self-professed sicko or something. But anyway, they kiss some more. Selena starts unbuttoning Bruce's shirt, but he gently stops her on the third button. And Selena's like, uh, was I moving too fast? <laughs> but then Bruce starts messing with his own buttons or with her buttons. Sorry. And uh, she thinks, "Uh oh, the male wanted to run the show. Maybe she would allow it this time. <laughs> but then she wondered how she would explain the burn on her arm. So she reluctantly pushes his hand away. And then Bruce seems every bit as embarrassed as she did. And he says, I uh, never fool around on the first date. How many dates did Vicky and Bruce have? Uh, like I one? feel like that first... <laughs> like one. <laughs> yeah. I think that night that she went to the mansion to have dinner and like she ended up meeting Alfred and they were talking about the pony and whatnot. And getting drunk. I think that was their first date. And I think uh, he fooled around. He did. So, that he liar. did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she notices his hand brushing against his shirt as if checking on something beneath. And I, I had to think for a second. I had forgotten about the claw marks that Catwoman had left on his abdomen. Mm-hmm. The burn on her arm, that could have been explained away pretty easily. I myself am a total klutz in the kitchen. This is why my husband does the cooking, because I, I'm just not very good at it. I usually end up hurting myself. <laughs> so you can explain a burn away on, you know, just about anything. The claw marks would have been a little bit harder to explain away. Yeah, that's true. I mean, unless, like, her burn's like a nasty burn that wouldn't look like a normal burn, you know? like True. That's the only thing I could think of, is that it was pretty severe and that it wouldn't, it looks like it's military, like, grade, like, napalm. So maybe it doesn't burn the same way as, like, oh, I just brushed against the oven, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have, like, melted skin. <laughs> no, pretty, probably pretty <laughs> nasty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shame on you, Bruce. <laughs> Let's see. Selena hints that she also doesn't fool around on a second date because she isn't sure how long it would take her burns to heal. When like, good, good watching out, Selena. <laughs> But she also doesn't know how long she can hold off getting into Bruce's pants. So Bruce asks her, what are you doing three dates from now? And again, you smooth motherfucker. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. that, uh, You don't get that in the movie, but I love hear her inner thoughts. And you get like, it's like, well, we're going to have to wait, but I don't know how much longer I can wait. Because you can tell just the chemistry is coming off these guys. and, And I really enjoyed seeing just them at this little scene of just them that's not batman not catwoman it's just these two and they have their own conflictions going on for whatever reason and neither of them is aware of the other conflictions so it's it's just a cool little scene yeah and who knows how much alcohol alfred put in that eggnog yeah. he might be trying to like smooth the playing field a little this bit this is so. true uh, selena stands up and walks over to the tv and it's like weren't we going to watch that relighting of the tree she turns on the tv and of course there's breaking news that comes on right away uh, showing chaos in Gotham Square. And uh, the anchor is saying, we repeat, the Ice Princess has been kidnapped. And it only gets worse. Commissioner Gordon, 
So the camera shifts to Gordon, who is visibly pale and shaken. The announcer continues, Can you confirm the reports we're hearing of Batman's suspected involvement in the abduction? Gordon says, The evidence is purely circumstantial. We found this, stained with blood, in the missing girl's dressing room. He holds up the battering. Probably not normal for a cop to show... Uh, evidence <laughs> on live TV, but yeah, they usually would want to keep some aspect like that quiet. Yeah, but you know they got to move the story along. I get yeah. it. I get it. And and as we've come to realize, the GCPD is not super competent either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Selena looks at Bruce, and as Catwoman, she had promised to be at the tree lighting ceremony when Penguin started his attack on Batman, but in sh- instead she was on the other side of town. And had almost let a man take control. So that's what she got for letting Selena do the thinking. Which is kind of sad, because she was kind of having a good time as Selena. Yeah. So, but would Penguin still trust Catwoman? So, Bruce also looks upset, and he stands up and smiles apologetically. He says, Selena, I'm just going to check on those chestnuts Alfred was roasting. <laughs> Bruce, you need to work on your excuses. Yeah. <laughs> come up with an excuse that's going to take more than two minutes <laughs> you need more time than that to go out as batman uh but selena at the same time is also thinking that she needs to get out of there because she had promised penguin to be there so they're both uh trying to get out of dodge so his lame excuse will actually work because she won't be there and that's the end of chapter 25 mm-hmm. so yeah i'm really enjoying seeing Bruce and Selena and Batwoman, <laughs> Batman and Catwoman together. Yeah. Things like that don't always come off in books. I, I didn't really get into Bruce and Vicki Vale in the first book, but this one, it's really working for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This whole uh, Selena, Kyle, Catwoman, Batman, Catwoman, Selena and Batman and Bruce. Uh, like, I like this. And, and you can almost say like, it's like almost uh a square, like a romantic square going on mm-hmm. uh, with the four identities. And uh, like, it, it's just, and it really helps these couple of scenes that they've had where they're not even Batman and Catwoman. They're just themselves trying to be themselves and they don't realize, and which also plays off later on when they do find out about each other. It really pays off later on, but uh, I'm really liking these two together. And uh, that helps make me care more about the characters. Yeah. Cause they, they both have, secrets that they're keeping from each other which adds to the tension but they're also kind of because they have this dark secret in themselves and they kind of suspect that there's something dark in the other person uh they talked about that when they were they had running into each other in the plaza they're kind of trusting each other a little maybe a little bit more than what they would open up to with uh, someone else i don't know i i'm i kind of can't wait to see the next five chapters to see how this goes on yeah so, any final thoughts? No, other than uh, I'm really enjoying where this is going. And I, I think the book takes more care with these secondary characters, like the bruce Selena relationship. It takes more care with that than the movie does. I think the movie kind of mm-hmm. has to fly past some of that stuff. It kind of, it cliff notes it for you. And I think because of the strength of the actors, it get, comes across. But they really are showing you here in the book, and I'm really liking it. Yeah. I saw some, wasn't popular enough to be, be a meme, but just something going around Tumblr or something that said, if you think I'm going to sit through 31 hours of a movie that is of my favorite book that has been recreated perfectly, 
then you're right. And I'm going to get the drinks and popcorn because we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> so it's kind of shame that we're limited to, you know, usually anything over three, three and a half hours. You know, audiences get too squirmy, understandably so, I guess. Yeah. But it's kind of a shame that there's a time limit in movies when... I, I like when things do multi-parts. I also like when a TV series is done well because it can really kind of tease out some of the stuff that we get more in novels rather than in TV and movies because there's just no time for yeah. it. So that is all for this episode. And for next time, we'll be covering chapters 26 through 30. If you would like to send a comment or question, you can email me at darknightprose at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at batmanbooks underscore dkp. Pax, you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find uh, me on Twitter under my name, Paxton Holly, P-A-X-T-O-N-H-O-L-L-E-Y. And uh, you, you can see there in my bio, uh, I, I have a couple podcasts. Most, probably the one most relevant here is uh, the monthly podcast, I Read Movies, where I talk about the differences in movies and their movie novelization. It's a great, great podcast. I always enjoy hearing the comparisons, between, especially when it's a, a movie and a book that, or a movie that I know well, then I haven't read the novelization yet. I, I really got to get my hands on the E.T. one when I have a chance. When, I, when I'm done gilding, building goat fences, I'm going to sit down and read that E.T. one. <laughs> it is definitely worth the read. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all for now, listeners. Until next time, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Chapter 25, Scene 1. Chestnuts rope. Chestnuts. Bleh.